So with military, sometimes they'll already have their own power of attorneys, which, you know, depending if, if how they're drawn up, we can usually use them. But if they're here and we can handle it before they leave, it's actually called a specific power of attorney, which is for like that real estate transaction only. It'll have the property address and they even have an expiration date. So you can say, oh, three months from now, this is void. Um, but yeah, with military, those we always recommend a power of attorney because it's it makes things so much easier and you don't have to worry about getting things notarized out of Caesar, right. overseas or something like that. Welcome to the Selling Sandoval podcast, where we dive deep into the world of real estate in sunny California. I'm your host, Victoria Sandoval, and I'm thrilled to have you join me as I sit down with top-notch professionals, market analysts, and influential leaders who have mastered the art of closing deals. Together, we'll explore the ever-evolving market trends, debunk myths, and empower you with the tools to negotiate like a pro. So whether you're a buyer, seller, or agent seeking inspiration, this podcast is your key to unlocking real estate success in California. This is the Selling Sandoval podcast. I'm Victoria Sandoval, and I'm excited to embark on this journey with you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Selling Sandoval. I'm excited to introduce you to my guest. Uh, his name is Chris Gallegos. He's an escrow officer. He's been an escrow officer and a really good friend of mine for a very, very long time. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Yay. Excited. So, yeah, you're, I'm very excited to have you. Yeah. So, um, what, how long have you been an escrow officer? A little over 20 years. Actually, that's how long have we known each other? I would say it's getting close to 20 years because we met a couple years after I was already in escrow. Yeah. 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 So, so. you've been my escrow officer for how long have you said? At least 10 years, right? I, I would say at least 10 to 15 probably. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's been a while. <laughs> uh, he's a very good escrow officer, by the way. He's on it. And I've worked with multiple escrow officers and companies and I've never, I have zero complaints. He's workaholic. So that's what we have. <laughs> so, okay, going back to my question. So what, uh, so you've been in the business for 20 years. Mm -hmm. What made you, I know I told you I was going to ask this question, but why escrow? Why did you choose escrow? Well, before escrow, I was going to community college and I had two jobs. I worked at UPS and sold Cutco. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had an internship at a loan officer's office, which kind of was like my first introduction to real estate. That didn't go too well because they just gave me a big book and said, here, read this. And I was like, oh, that's not going to work well with me. I don't train like that. And so I got out of that. And then maybe not even a year later, my friend who was a receptionist at an escrow company, he got promoted to an assistant and then told me, hey, they're hiring if you want to check this out. And... You know, I was 20, 21 at the time, had no clue. So I went down and the lady liked me and hired me as the receptionist. And then I kind of, I saw the money that she was making and how things worked there. And I was like, wow, this seems like it could work out pretty well. And so I ended up dropping the two jobs I had. And well, I kept Cutco part-time because that, that was a good commission sales job. And um then eventually I just dropped that too and stayed in escrow and yeah, here I am now. Yeah. So when in every real estate transaction, there's an escrow company involved. So what is the role of 
an escrow company for you know buyers or sellers or first time home buyers that aren't even aware or sellers you know what, what what's your role exactly so we're we are a neutral third party that makes sure the transaction is followed as the contract's written so that gives us our timelines, reports, inspections, like anything we have to pay or do, seller credit buyers, rent backs, that, that's what we go off of for everything right there is, is the contract. And that tells us what to do right there. Okay. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges that you experience encounter during the escrow process? Usually, <laughs> a lot of our issues tend to come with lenders, like if they're lagging and then all of a sudden it's like hey get this get this get this and then um one of our biggest problems i would say though is usually when sellers or buyers are not responsive or they don't complete paperwork or turn it in like you know kind of half completed and um that those are usually one of the biggest challenges is a seller or buyer not being very responsive when you say paperwork on the buy side what does that involve with the buy side, the more the one of the the two important ones really are the vesting and the insurance because that's what the lender needs the soonest, and we need to verify like if you know if a person's on the contract by themselves, but then we get their vesting and it says married man sold and separate, then okay we need to draft an interspousal deed and that kind of gives us some info, and lenders like the vesting and that up front like pretty soon so. Those are two of the important ones for us, for buyers, are the vesting and insurance. Okay. And then on the sell side, what's, uh, what are the uh, documents required needed? So on the seller side, it's the, you know, your basic escrow instructions, commission, deed. Um, when I open escrow, the day we open, I send the seller info sheet out to them because that will tell us like liens on the property, HOA, solar, all that type of stuff where sometimes we'll get it back from them and then hey there's two hoas and nobody knew yeah. and um so then we you know we'll get a rush on that in order um and then of course the grant deed that's like that's the most important one because that's the one that when it gets recorded that's when our deal is officially done right. um yeah that's the most important right there what so in during the escrow process what have you seen happen you know in escrow that um has caused the deal to fall out like i know you guys do background checks on on buyers or sellers and certain liens come up or tell me a little bit more about that like what can kill a, a deal so i actually had one yesterday when we got the si's back we sent them in and the, the statement, statement of information and uh so that was another one where the seller was actually kind of lagging a little bit on returning the paperwork to us and when they got it back and two liens popped up and so then it's like okay now we got to jump on these well first we call them to make sure it's their lien and they're aware of it and then and then we reach out to the lien holder and get those payoffs ordered um yeah the title companies run the searches though um i think there's one or two companies that don't search buyers um because they figure well when the buyer goes to the seller refinance they'll have to clear title so um but I mean, it's usually better to run them both up front. So the buyers are aware if they have any liens or judgments or something outstanding, because sometimes you might think something was taken care of, but like a, a release or reconveyance wasn't recorded. So then it still shows on that person's name or title. So this is actually, I'm glad we're talking about this. So for a buyer, if you know you have certain liens, but you want to buy a house and you don't want that to prevent you from being able to buy a house, 
you can go through a certain title company that won't yeah <laughs> run, run your si run your statement of information but when you go to sell you'll have you're to take care so yeah pay regardless either up front or but if it's something you want to do down the line you know use the equity to pay off yeah the judgment or whatever it is that you or if it's something you know hey i can pay this off in a year or so yeah. you can go through that title company they don't run searches and then but when you go to sell or refi you'll definitely have to clear that up you know what title companies those are or um, First American does not run buyer searches okay. for sure. And I think WFG, okay. everybody else runs buyer's SIs. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because I've, I've had situations in the past where liens pop up and child support, all of that. So yeah. Child support? That's, oh, yeah. They, they, uh, no, they don't run buyer's no. statement. And, unless sometimes the lender, it's a prior to funding or dot condition that they need a supplement from title that shows, oh, the buyer's statement of information is clear. There was no liens or judgments. So for somebody who wants to sell a house, or when do you recommend that they fill out the SI? How soon? So I have a, a good amount of agents and I recommend this to everybody is as soon as you get a listing signed, open a listing PR. Because okay. um, sometimes just the name itself, like, if it's like John Gar, like Jose Garcia or something, John Smith, a common name or something, sometimes they'll say, hey, these popped up, but we don't know if it's your seller. We need to run their socials, date of birth, driver light, like they run everything um, to verify that it's that person. So I always tell the agents, you know, as soon as you get a listing, open up a listing PR. And I even have agents that will email me and I'll send out the seller info sheet right away to them. And sometimes an SI, because I did have one um, last week that an agent was concerned about the one of her sellers. So I sent them the SI and send it to title. And I mean, there's like, that's easy stuff to do. And even you, you could even get a statement of information and send it straight to title when you open a listing PR and say, hey, here's an SI and the title report or, right. you know, check how, the statement. How long does that usually take to get back? Like a day. Okay. Yeah, so we actually recommend at Select Number Properties, if you have a listing appointment, take the SI, because a lot of times, too, you go to these listing appointments and you provide net sheets to show them how much they're going to profit. So if the client yeah. is expecting $200,000, uh, you don't have that judgment on there. Yeah. If the judgment pops up for 50000 at the close of escrow, they're going to say, hey, where's that 50000 right? So yeah. you have to have that. Because once they're locked into a contract, once they accept a buyer's offer, they're, they can't back out. Yeah. So it's good to have that information ahead of time before you accept an offer. I mean, you can list the property, but just don't accept an offer until you get that SI back. Yeah, because you want to know, especially if they're tight on, hey, we, we need to net this much from the sale. Right. And if they have a judgment, you know, somehow it comes back to us that we didn't know. Um, so it's better to double check those things. And even like that, when I do net sheets for like you or other agents, I, I go to a website and I pull the last deed of record so I can all check out, oh, they just moved here a year and a half ago. They might get hit with the franchise tax board withholding mm -hmm. or, hey, this one looks like it was an inheritance. We're going to need a copy of the probate or whatever to, to show that it's their property. Right. So that's a good thing, too, is like I search that stuff when I do net sheets for people. Mm -hmm. um, Hopefully everybody does, but yeah, I don't yeah. know that. I don't know. <laughs> so let's talk about someone who is selling a house because their family member passed away and mm -hmm. they inherited the property. What documentation is needed? Well, if it was done to, through a trust, like that's one of the best 
things for anybody to do is put your property in a trust because then you don't have to deal with probates and courts and that stuff afterwards because the trust is very specific where it says, oh, like if Mrs. Seller dies, then Mr. Seller is the main trustee. If Mr. Seller and then both are gone, then, oh, the oldest son is the trustee. And then they sign all the paperwork and we'll title will require a copy of the trust or at least certain sections to show that they were the successor trustee. And then we have them also complete a trust cert as well. Um, and then if it, if it was done through a probate, then we need the, um, the court recorded, um, like the administrator of the estate documents and that stuff to show who the administrator, like the person authorized to sign for them for the estate is. Okay. And then how effective is a will? Can you list, a, I mean, can you open an escrow, uh, for, somebody who says hey this is i have a copy of a will that's in writing uh, that says that i inherited this property or i have legal ownership are you able to list i'm not list i'm sorry are you able to open an escrow uh in that situation we would have to review the will and everything to make sure that it is the way it's worded and everything is correct on that it's usually though through like probates and trust because usually even if it's yeah it's usually done through those for the most part right. yeah yeah so definitely get a trust guys yeah <laughs> i, I recommend it. always like the trust because you can even put the trust on your bank account so like even though like say my my bank account is in like chris gallegos something happens to me you have that backup paperwork with your bank then somebody like my wife if she's not on that bank account she can still go on with the trust documents and say hey i need to do stuff here move money or anything like that yeah. How about uh, for military? So military, they they buy they buy a property, but they're they have to leave for three weeks, and they want to leave their wife power of attorney. Is there a specific power of attorney they need to get? Uh, what what do you need in order for so for them to be able to have that power of attorney? So with military, sometimes they'll already have their own power of attorneys, which you know, depending if if how they're drawn up, we can usually use them. But if they're here and we can handle it before they leave, it's actually called a specific power of attorney, right. which is for like that real estate transaction only. It'll have the property address and they even have an expiration date. So you can say, oh, three months from now, this is void. Um, but yeah, with military, those we always recommend a power of attorney because it's it makes things so much easier and you don't have to worry about getting things notarized out of Caesar right. overseas or something like that. Uh, let's talk about solar. So when a buyer that's going to ask you all of our questions, oh, man. hey, we come across these situations all the time. <clears> like you've helped me so much throughout the process, throughout the years. Uh, but with solar, is whose responsibility is it to order the, the solar transfer paperwork? Uh, so if a property comes with solar and the seller says, Mr. Buyer, you have to assume the solar lease, mm -hmm. what who's responsible, the listing agent, the buyer's agent, or escrow? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's escrow. Mm -hmm. um, we we are actually one of the few people in the transaction that have contact with everybody. Like escrow will have contact with solar, HOA, lenders, processors, funders, lien holders. If it's child support or anything like that, um, solar we usually always order that. There is, I think. I don't know if there's two, but I know for sure there's one company that the seller actually has to order it themselves. 
And you usually with that one, we'll send the seller like an email with all of the here, here's the here's what you can send to them to open it. So that way they just basically forward an email or do it. And we get very good instructions if they have to order it themselves. So do most companies, most escrow companies handle the solar or is it just yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that that's pretty standard that every escrow does solar and that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So how about as uh, HOA documentation? So when somebody's buying a condo and there's a homeowner association, uh, you have to order an HOA cert. Uh, what when usually to see if they'll be able to if the lender is going to finance? Well, that loan, right? so well, the that's the lender's responsibility. I'm glad you brought that up because that's a thing that. Yes. Because we do get lenders that are like, hey, you need to order the HOA questionnaire or the cert. Right. Escrow's only responsibility is to order those docs that are required by law. And that I think it's code 4525 on there, um, which is like the HOA demand, the articles, bylaws, the budget, financials, um, rules, regulations, meeting minutes, insurance. Like those are the main ones that we order. I don't, I don't ever order those because HOA companies, they'll charge you about like a hundred or 125 for the CCNRs and title, you get them for free because they're always hyperlinked in your title report. Mm -hmm. So I just, Hey, here's your hyperlinked title report. And that has CCNRs and all that in it. Okay. Um, but yeah, we order those HOA documents. Like I, we usually order them the day we open and then, um, yeah, and then we reach out to you guys to see if, you know, rush, regular turn times and that type of how how soon do we need them. So we had a couple questions um, since, you know, I did tell a couple people you're going to come, come on the podcast. So I have some questions that they wanted me to ask you. Uh, one of the questions is uh, how, what steps do you take to ensure a smooth and effective escrow process for your clients? You just, to be honest, you just have to stay on top of your file and be organized. Um, it's most escrow officers are very similar to me where we're usually working on like at least two files at the same time, but they're still like, like with me, I calendar everything. So I get notifications. Hey, follow up on this payoff you ordered. Hey, did the seller return paperwork on this escrow? Hey, follow up with lender for status on docs. Um, so I tend to do that a lot and like I'll update agents as much as possible because sometimes they'll, you guys will catch stuff that I didn't even know about. Um, perfect example, the other day I was working up docs to balance, to get loan docs for my funder. And then one of the agents was like, hey, do you have that seller credit buyer on there? I checked my file and I said, I don't have any addendums. Yeah. And then, so they started scrambling and, you know, got the addendum, send it to me quick so I could send it to the lender because the, the lender wants to review that stuff before they, like, they won't just add a credit and send me docs. They're like, we need to see a paper trail. We need to make sure that it's still, you know, within the minimum down payment. Um, and that's another huge thing too, is because sometimes we don't know the loan program. So when agents are like, Hey, we're going to throw this 15,000 seller credit buyer, one of my first questions is like, hey, did you run that by the lender to make yeah. to make sure because if they just throw it on there and then we get to closing and the lender says, oh, they they're not hitting their minimum down payment. Like, let's say, oh, they need to bring in 40,000 and this shows they're bringing in 30. You need to remove 10,000 of that credit right. when you're at closing. Like there's not much you can do unless you want to do a redraw and other stuff where 
So it's good to check that the lender that the credits are allowable. Right. Sometimes too much credit. Yeah. Isn't allowable too. Yeah, because you can use it sometimes to pay, like, oh, we'll pay extra HOA dues or something, but it's, mm -hmm. it all depends on what the lender is okay with. Yeah. Yeah. What about, let's talk about 1031 exchanges real quick. So when do you recommend that, because you actually work with a 1031 exchange company. Can you explain what a 1031 exchange is? Yeah, that's when people go, you're basically selling one investment property to just buy another. Um, that's the simplest way to explain yeah. it is yeah this and you can you can only use it for investment properties to, to my understanding that I you can't sell your per like your principal residence to buy an investment and use a 1031 because so I was gonna say the 1031 people use that to avoid having to pay any withholdings because with a 1031 you're not you won't get hit with that three and a third franchise tax board fee. So just basically at closing, like today, I closed the file wired to the 1031 and they, they just hold the money. And then once the buyer identifies a property in that, then that's where the money will go. So if you're an agent um, and you know your <clears throat> client's going to sell their investment property and buy another one, at what point do you recommend that they notify you? Because you have to, you, you have to contract a 1031 exchange company, right? So yeah. how soon in the process? Because I, there's times where I think that uh, you told me where other agents have opened an escrow and you're like, it's too late. We can't do a 1031 exchange. It's usually only, you can do a 1031. Like we just, we'll just draft an amendment stating that. And cause usually if a seller is doing 1031, that won't affect the buyer cause the, the buyer won't have to pay. And there's no additional requirements, I guess. Really the only requirement is to close the escrow and sell the property. Um, and most 1031s are pretty good where they get you the 1031 docs in like a day or two. So, yeah. So you need to, from the time you open escrow on the sale of your home, how soon do you have to identify a property? Or I'm sorry, once you receive the funds from the from the sale of your home, you have X amount of time. Can you talk about timelines? So that, so that one, sellers know. I want to say... Don't quote me because I'm very, I'm not sure on the timeline, but I, I want to say it was like a three to six month period that I don't recall of where they have to identify the property and close. Because I, I think there's a timeline where they have to identify by and then a date where the timeline where they have to close by. And then I believe if you don't hit any of those, then they do the withholding and then issue your proceeds. Yeah. So somebody sells an investment property. They tell their they tell their agent, "I want to do a 1031 exchange." They the listing agent notifies you. Mm -hmm. You open you contract the 1031 exchange company, right? So you yeah. basically you, you don't what do you call it? Opening escrow. It's not opening escrow. It's like basically just opening it, the account for them. Right? It, yeah, it's like opening an account. <clears throat> to us, really, it's just like ordering docs. Right. Because okay. I just send them a couple like contract title report type things and then they use that and then they draft up their exchange documents and send them over to me. Okay, so they hold on to the money mm -hmm. and then uh, once they identify a property, you notify them and then basically as long as they, they close escrow, then they wire the funds back to you. No, are they, are they well, not back to you? The, they wire the funds to you. Well, when it close, when we close, we wire them, but then when the seller identifies the property. <clears throat> when they go to close that escrow, because they'll be the buyer, mm -hmm. the 1031 will wire the funds to that escrow or whoever has the escrow. 
<laughs> Always, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, awesome. Uh, I think is there any anything else that you think that we should know about escrow that you want sellers and agents? So something that you feel that agents should know, uh, especially new agents, when it comes to the escrow process. Um, I mean, really, the most important part, like with new agents, that I always recommend is. Definitely the listing PRs and the SIs um, up front. And, you know, being with a, an experience, if they're a newer agent, being with an experienced person, team broker is always like, you should do that. Like I always, it's, it's great for people because, you know, when you go to get your license, they don't really teach you how to do the job. Um, so I always recommend to them like, yeah, you definitely want to do that stuff. You want to ask questions like, hey, are you going to be taking any vacations going out of the country? Because we tend to get that pretty like, hey, we're closing escrow with the buyers like they're going to Spain. And mm. it's like, oh, that's not going to be easy for them to get docs notarized. And, you know, um, yeah, those are those are definitely some big ones is to do those up front. Um, and definitely you want to ask your clients questions and kind of get to know them, especially on the buy side, because I've had deals where, you know, we're getting in and then people, they don't know the buyers going out of town or something specific. And I'm like, oh, man, like that would have been good to know. You need to find a notary. If they're like yeah. Another... another state and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it's all doable all the time, but it's better to have a heads up so you can plan ahead for that and let the lender and everybody know. Um to know that stuff. So if someone's in Europe when they're about to close escrow or they need to sign their loan documents, what do you do you have to go to an embassy and yeah. sign a notary? <clears throat> yeah. And they wire they even not wire, I'm sorry, they email the documents to to the client well, and they take them to the embassy or how, how Yeah, that that, that's pretty much exact. We cuz we don't like if it's within the states, I have a couple of national notary companies that I can find notaries just about anywhere as long as they're in the states. So then we can email them the docs, they can print them, do all that. But if they're out of the country, we will have to email them direct to the client. They print them, go to the embassy. Um, the only way around that is if they're military on a military base, then they can have the military notary notarize them. Um, but they still have to print in FedEx back to me and do that. Yeah. I haven't had that situation. Out of state, yes, but not in another country. Yeah, we've had I've had quite a few of those. Yeah, um, yeah. one good thing I, I one thing I do want to recommend to all the lenders out there, when you start when you take your loan apps, really look at your buyer's ID and ask them if they're married. You you would not believe how many deals I get. I <laughs> this one's hilarious. It was like two weeks ago. It was a a son and his wife and and the son's parents. Mm -hmm. Both of the parents the son and his dad, we'll just call them John. Mm -hmm. They were <clears throat> John and John. And, you know, the lender was getting confused when they were their names because neither had senior or junior on their IDs. This lender decided to just add junior and senior. So then we had to get credible witnesses. And like, it's not something we like doing because when they go to sell, they're going to have to get credible witnesses again. Um, I had another one where a lender um, didn't look at any of the IDs and none of them matched two of my buyers. And um, that one was another huge pain because there was like a middle name on the docs, but none of the buyer's IDs had a middle name. 
or it was like a middle initial, but not the full name. So I definitely recommend the lenders to ask their clients if they're married and check their IDs. Exactly. Leave me your name exactly the reason, right? Yeah, or send me a picture of it. Like right. that's the best. That's smart to avoid any problems. One last question, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to someone who, where there's a language barrier, someone that's Spanish speaking uh, and they need to sign loan documents, do you contract notaries that are bilingual or how do they? Yes, you, you, you pretty much have to. It's in California, a notary, if they're, if the, they can't speak to the person, they're really not supposed to be notarizing them. Okay. So yeah, I have many Spanish speaking notaries, um, Tagalog and uh, was it Chinese? Yeah. So I mean, I, I keep different notaries for that reason, because sometimes even if people speak it, they're more comfortable in their language. Right. So you usually want to kind of um, cater to the client and find something they're more comfortable with where like you want them to know after they signed, they understood what they signed and like right. they feel good about it. Really yeah, yeah, it's very important. Yeah. Well, it looks like we're out of time. Oh my God, mm -hmm. we're literally like. <laughs> I want to thank right? you so much for being a sponsor. Oh, thank you. It's awesome. And thanks to everybody who's yeah. listening in. If you have any mm -hmm. questions or comments, you can comment below. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time, guys. Bye. Right. Thanks right. for watching if you're watching. Right. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Selling Soundable Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and stay tuned for more valuable insights and practical tips. Remember, whether you're a buyer, seller, or an aspiring real estate agent, the Selling Sandoval podcast is your trusted companion in navigating the dynamic California real estate landscape. Until next time, keep dreaming big and making those real estate dreams a reality. This is Victoria Sandoval signing off from the Selling Sandoval podcast, wishing you success and happiness in all of your real estate endeavors.